Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, what a, what a beautiful church you guys have. Beautiful Augusta, but you, you guys are the diamond of Augusta. Augusta's already beautiful, but you make this town, can I say town, city, town, village, the Shire, even more beautiful. But first, I wanted to say a, a huge thank you. It's an honor for me to preach at this church, but a huge thank you to your pastor, uh, Pastor Marty and his wife, Patty. Thank you for incredible years of faithfulness and leading, it is not a small feat to be at a church for this long, leading as long as you have, and so thank you. And then also thank you to my, one of my, who's becoming a really good friend of mine, Pastor Dave, and if you ever hear him teach and he tells stories, I think to myself, why is that not my life? I want those stories, because you have the best possible stories. So thank you so much, it's an honor to be here. My wife and I, who is with me, my wife is sitting right here in the front row, so she's with me also. We rarely get to go anywhere without our four children because usually when we go alone somewhere together, it results in more children. So we try not to leave the house as much. But if you want to see a picture, this is our family. This is our family. We have four boys and just four boys full of life. Life is crazy. We, almost two, three years ago now, when we had three we just felt like the Lord is leading us to more children. And so I remember calling my parents and telling them we're trying for more kids. And my mom gets on the phone and she's like, oh, no, Nidu, please don't do it. Please, no, no, no more. It is enough. It is enough. You have fulfilled your calling. It's like, no more. And then I said, well, Dad, Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver. And my dad very quickly said, that is for the Jews. So, I don't know, but we feel like we're doing our part to populate the earth with good-looking kids that love Jesus. So that's where we feel like our personal calling is. Hey, if you have your Bible, would you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15? We're going to go through a few verses here, select verses in this. And simply, my aim this morning, today, is to simply encourage you. You might be walking in seasons that are tough and difficult, seasons full of loneliness and loss, or seasons of joy and success. But I believe that regardless of the season we are in, whatever you're facing, we could all use some encouragement from the Lord today. Amen? So I simply want to encourage you. Because for me, this past September, I went through what I would consider arguably the toughest season of my ministry life. And if you're in ministry, you know that it's not simply just something that happens on a nine to five during the week and then on Sundays, but it affects every area of your life. And so this affected every area of my life. It was a season with deep betrayal. Uh, It was brutal. It was disorienting in in many ways. And in the midst of that, I had to learn, and I'm still learning, uh, what does it mean to remain with Christ so that my situation doesn't determine how I live, but I live in the way that God has called me to live and the way that you and I are called to live regardless of the situation. And so the title of my talk this morning is simply this, Invited to Stay. Turn to, your, turn to the neighbor closest to you and say, you're invited, you're invited. And then turn to your other neighbor and say, I, I should have come to you first, but I didn't, and I'm sorry, but you're still invited too. You're invited also. 
This is the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll go 15, verses 1 through 4, 7, 9, and 11. Let me read this for us. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My mom is, is quite an excellent cook. And I know that you think that you can cook or your mom can cook. And that's cute. That's wonderful. That's, that's sweet. But my mom can really cook. I mean, I have seen miraculous healings take place after a plate of lemon rice and chicken curry. I have seen foreign leaders at war sign peace treaties over some biryani and chicken 65. I have seen those who are lost and wandering, who have rejected God, come back to receive the Holy Ghost in a way that they never have as they have finished a plate of this exquisite food. Because my mom's cooking is not just food. Friends, it is a journey. It is a journey into the soul of God. It is the most touching experience of your life. And so when my mom shows up, which she rarely does, but when she comes to visit and she cooks, Immediately, when my friends find out that my mom is there, the phone, the text messages, they start ringing and they want to know, can I get an invite? Can I get, can I get a seat at the table? Like, I will sit outside if you want me to. I will eat in my car if you want me to. But can I get a plate of this food? Because it's an experience. Here's what I'm realizing the older I get. The, the moment you wake up, the moment your eyes open, you take the first breath of oxygen for the morning and your feet hit the ground, your life is bombarded with invitations. For many of us, there is a device sitting next to us on our bed. And that device is inviting us to check our emails, perhaps get ahead on the day. There is a calendar to be filled out or to be lived out. There is invitations from, if you have children running through the house, there is invitations from career and work and finance. There might be invitations from family. There's even your own invitations for the day. And in the middle of all of that, each and every morning, God is extending an invitation to you. And the invitation you receive will determine the reality you experience. What Jesus is doing in John 15 is not simply good-sounding poetic words. He's not extending to you more information about life with him. He is inviting you into life with God. What would it look like, regardless of what season you're in, regardless of what you've been through, what you have gone through, what you might be going through now, regardless of what is happening to you or has happened to you, what would your life look like if you would live it 
with God if you would abide in him. The word abide is not a word that we use in our modern day English, but it simply means to remain, to stay, to dwell. Jesus is saying to you, abide in me and I in you. Jesus is saying, would you see to it that you remain in me, that you stay with me, that you dwell with me, that you orient your life around me, that you know my voice, you trust my will, you walk my way. And if you would live this way, the result would be, according to verse 11, joy. Not momentary happiness, not circumstantial satisfaction, but pure, eternal joy. The kind of joy that brings into your being a sense of wholeness and peace, being anchored in the reality that God is good. I'm sitting with my friend who is 74 years old. He was diagnosed with brain cancer about two years ago. And in a miraculous way, God heals him of this cancer. But a few weeks ago, he stood up and he, he felt as though his body was going to fall. He couldn't gain his balance. The entire left side of his body was going numb. He called his doctor. They immediately did a scan to find out that the tumor had come back. And now he's waiting to see if radiation and chemo will work. And as I come to see him and I bring him dinner, him and his wife, he's sitting on this couch and I'm hearing him share through tears. But these are not tears of grief. These are not tears of sorrow. He's sharing with me that in the midst of his deepest suffering, in his words, he is experiencing the tenderness of God in a way he never has before. He's experiencing God's goodness and God's joy and God's presence with him. And I'm thinking to myself, is this even possible? How could you be walking through the, the darkest season of your life And be anchored in the joy of Christ. And under the sound of my voice right now, I know many of you are thinking the same thing. How is it possible that I could experience this kind of joy? Because while all my friends are off and getting married and moving on with their lives, here I am still living painfully lonely. Wondering if this is the rest of my life. Here we are in our marriage that is not going the way that we think it should be going or want it to go. It is barely hanging on by a thread. And you're telling me that there is joy in the midst of this. Some older parents know the pain of all of the years and the prayers and the investment into this child who wants nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your faith. And you're wondering, is it possible to have joy in the midst of this? Is it possible to have joy knowing that God has called you to something and you put everything into it? You tried as hard as you could and yet it ended up failing. And rather than it failing, you find yourself feeling like a failure. You find yourself not anchored in Jesus, but anchored in shame and guilt and betrayal and abandonment and sorrow. And what Jesus wants to remind you of today is that not only is joy possible, it is available. 
if you would know and remain in him. Because friends, we are invited to know and remain in Christ. And if we are to know and remain in Christ, we have to know, we have to be anchored in the fact, in the truth, in the reality that Christ is the source of life. A branch cannot exist unless it is anchored to the vine. The branch gets its identity from the vine. It gets joy and healing and hope and a future from the vine. In the same way, we get our identity, our hope, our joy, our peace, grace, truth, as long as we are connected to the vine as our source. When I first moved to the United States when I was 14 years old, I'd grown up overseas. All I knew of America were two things. Well, maybe three. Michael Jordan, because you had to live under a rock if you didn't know who Michael Jordan was, the GOAT, the greatest who ever existed. And if you think it's LeBron, we will pray for you and ask that God forgive you of your blasphemy. So I knew that. The only other two things I knew was Saved by the Bell. And I thought that's how school was. It's like, wow, in India, our teachers beat us. But this Mr. Belden guy, he seems kind of nice. And the third thing I knew was, and this is very strange, was Baywatch. Go figure, in a country of 2.1 billion, we can't swim, Baywatch is the number one show on TV. But this is all I knew of America. So we land in America, and my first day of school, I see all these kids hugging each other. Now, I do not come from a public display of affection kind of people. That's not how we roll. If your parents feed you, they love you. And that's about all you'll get. And so I'm looking at these kids hugging each other and I'm thinking, they just come back from war or something? This is so strange for me. And what happened over the course of my life for years is I'm trying to figure out who I am in this new context. Well, who am I? Because I'm not black, I'm not white, there's very few people who look like me, who talk like me, who dress like me. I'm not really sure who I'm supposed to be. And so I would just navigate and shift who I was based on who I was hanging out with. So I had a group of my friends, most of my African-American friends I started hanging out with, and I was all into whatever they were into. You're into hip-hop, you're into Biggie, you're into Tupac. Well, that's what I'm into. And then I started making some friends who were more... Caucasian, that means white. And so you're into Dave Matthews, I guess I'll be into Dave Matthews. And so I was trying to just constantly figure out who I am, and I was constantly just a chameleon. Wherever somebody was, and I needed to fit in because I needed joy and belonging and meanings, I needed a source to find some kind of identity, I would just morph into whatever they were. And this is what the people of God tend to do all the time. While God is the one who rescues and redeems, calls us back into sonship and being his sons and daughters, that we would find ourselves in him as the source, the story of God's people is that we continually, as the hymn says, we are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. And we wander away looking for someone else 
or something else to be the source of our joy. Perhaps it's friendship, it's relationship, it's marriage, it's children, it's career, it's money, it's the American dream, it's a suburban house, it's safety, it's comfort, it's a good education, whatever it might be. And we even will treat Jesus sometimes as a temporary source. So I'll go to Jesus, I'll get my fill, and then I'll go back to the world that I live in. And when I need more Jesus, I'll head back to Jesus. And Jesus is saying that the branch cannot live this life. The branch has to always be connected, anchored in the vine. So he says, abide in me and I in you. Remain. And how do we remain? According to the invitation of Jesus, we remain because Jesus has extended the invitation through his word. He says, my word, which has already cleansed you, my word, let it abide in you. Let my word remain in you. The word of God, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, through bone and marrow, revealing to us who God is and who we are in light of who God is, brings us into the presence of God showing us what it means to live and abide with him. What is God's word? In the one sense, we could say God's word. The scriptures are his truths. And in a world of fleeting truths, in a world where our feelings become what's true, in a world where we use the language of my truths, Friends, how could my truth be my truth if I lied to myself more than anyone else has ever lied to me? Could I even trust my truth? Because my truth on Monday changes by Tuesday. Truth by definition can't change. Truth is truth is truth. And Jesus is the absolute truth. He is the absolute of absolutes. And we need truth to anchor us in a world that continues to vacillate from what is real and what is true. But not only is God's word his truths, they are his promises. They are his promises. God is continually speaking promises over his people. The Bible has to be read, I would contend, in three ways. First, as we read the scriptures, we see that the Bible is filled with what we would call the indicative. The indicative is all that is true. Regardless of how we feel about it, whether we believe it or not, it is true. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is true. And based on the indicative, we have the imperative. These are the commands or the ordinances of Jesus, of God, that we must obey. When we read the scriptures, we're asking what is true and how must I obey? But the third thing to look at in the scriptures are the invitations. The scriptures are full of invitations. God inviting you into life with him. Inviting you into his unfolding promises. In fact, the Bible has 8,810 promises. I refer to this so much in our church that there are a few young adults who've gotten that number tattooed on themselves. I really hope 
that when I reread the Bible, it doesn't turn out to be 8,822. They're going to have to change some numbers. 8,810 promises designed by God to bring you into life with him and experience the fullness of life with him. What are these promises? That he is the way, the truth, and the life. The promise is that he has come to give you life to the fullest. The promise that though life may be dark right now, that you will see, according to Psalm 27, 13, the goodness of God in the land of the living. That his steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. He is for you and not against you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. These are the promises of God that continue to unfold in your life. And the beauty of God's word is this. It is not the word that cleanses you or the word that leads you into eternal life. It is the word became flesh. Because the Bible says all the truth of God and all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. It is not the Holy Bible that leads us into right relationship with God or cleanses us of our iniquity. It is Jesus himself who cleanses us, which means we don't have to come to Jesus in some cleansed up version. See, a lot of us will come to Jesus if we could just, let me clean up my marriage first. Let me clean up my parenting first. Let me clean up my addictions first. And then I'll come to Jesus. Jesus is saying, come as you are, not as you could be, not as you should be, not even as you must be. Come as you are and I will cleanse you. I will heal you. I will restore you. I will refine you. Come as you you are and experience the fullness of my joy as you stayed connected to the source. But not only is Jesus the source of our joy, the source of meaning, the source of purpose, the source of hope, the source of our future, he is also the sustainer of it. See, a branch can never produce fruit if it's disconnected from the vine. You have never in your life seen a living branch full of fruit that is just sort of floating around, wandering, disconnected from the, branch, from the vine, from the tree. In order for fruit to be produced in the branch, it has to stay connected to the vine because the vine is what's giving it sustenance and life. In order for the fruit of God to be produced in us, which by the way, we don't produce. We cannot produce the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of obedience or the fruit of discipleship. It is produced in us. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of obedience, which is to love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors. The fruit of discipleship, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All of this is produced in us as we are attached to the vine. A.W. Tozer would say that salvation itself is forming a new attachment. 
If you, can, if you think of this in the, in the metaphor, the context of marriage, when a groom and a bride are standing across from one another, what are they doing? They are saying to one another, I am committed to be attached to you. No more attachments. Every other attachment is broken. We will detach from those and we will attach to one another. We will remain with one another, stay with one another. See, we often think of sin as bad behavior, poor actions, negative thoughts. And while sin plays out in those particular ways, sin is fundamentally not a symptom. If sin was a symptom, you could just correct it by just modifying the way that you act. But sin is fundamentally a condition of the heart that detaches us from God, that pulls us from God, that causes us to reject God and God's ways and God's thoughts and God's heart. It pulls us from this. So the reason that you find yourself looking at that device with pornography or finding yourself in a relationship where you were exploring sex and sexuality outside of God's design for it in marriage is because you have detached yourself from the intimacy that the Father gives you. The reason that you hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and frustration and self-righteous anger, the reason that you want to control everything in your life, manipulating the situations around you, the reason that you live a self-righteous, a self-dependent life is because you have detached yourself from the presence of God who is the almighty provider of all things. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is he is reattaching you to life with God. He is calling you to break away every attachment you have ever had to reattach you to love. On the cross, Jesus displays the greatest act of love the world has ever known. And he invites you into that love. Notice he says, as the Father has loved me, as I have loved you, now come and abide in good moral behavior. Come abide in good Christian living. Come abide and always do the right thing. Come abide in a life of performance. No, he says, come abide in that same love, the same love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Spirit and the Spirit has for the Father. Come enter into that love, a love that is pure and holy and unconditional, a love that is transforming, a love that will meet you where you are but will not leave you the same way. Come into that love. And I know under the sound of my voice, there's many people thinking that message sounds incredible for them. Because if that was true, why did we lose the baby? If that's true, why have, is my life marked by abuse and manipulation and betrayal? Why am I the one who's constantly being used by someone else? If this is true, then how come my life is the way that it is? Because I've gone too far, I've done too much, I've seen too much, too much has happened to me. But church, the truest thing about you is not the mistakes you have made. 
The truest thing about you are not your worst moments. The truest thing about you is not your sin, not your brokenness, not your trauma, not your woundedness. The truest thing about you is not your success, the neighborhood you live in, the amount of money you make, how good or how struggle, struggling your marriage is. The truest thing about you is not that you are a father or a mother, a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter. The truest thing about you is that you are dearly loved by the God of the universe. At the center of the universe, there is a profound and eternal, unshakable relationship. And by the cross of Jesus, you are invited into that relationship. Because the truest thing about you is that you are his beloved. I tell my kids every day, I quiz them, what's the truest thing about you? And they'll tell you, I'm dearly loved by God. I am his beloved. Which means right now, for those who are in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your worst moments. He sees his son in you. And the same words he says to Jesus, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Think about it. Jesus has done nothing up to this point. He hasn't healed anyone. He hasn't preached any sermons. He hasn't cast out demons. He hasn't risen from the dead. He's done nothing. But the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus invites you into life with him to be living the life of the beloved. And the result of this is joy, eternal, enduring joy. The joy of knowing that in all things, God will have his way. The joy of knowing that it is God who has the last word. Death does not have the last word. Sickness does not have the last word. Darkness does not have the last word. Trauma does not have the last word. Divorce does not have the last word. Addiction does not have the last word. God has the last word. But here's the thing about God's invitation, and you have to know this. Jesus doesn't negotiate on his offer. Abide in me and only me. No one else. But herein lies the problem. I wonder if the reason we don't experience the joy that God has for us, if we don't know what it means to know and remain in him, is because we are constantly trying to negotiate with God. And listen, I get negotiating. Negotiating is in my blood. I was raised to negotiate. You know how hard it is to move to America when you're 15 and go to Sears with your dad for the first time and buy something with fixed prices? My dad asked this guy, how much for this machine, young man? Uh, sir, that'll be uh, $1,200. Oh, okay. I'll give you 600 Like, Dad, it, Dad, it doesn't, this is America, it doesn't, Nero, please, please, let the men do the work. How much? Sir, it's 1200 Ah, tough guy. 750 Like, that's, that's my life. Any parents in the house? Any parents in the house? You know negotiating, don't you? Go to bed but I'm hungry. Go to bed. But I love you. <laughs> go to bed. Just go to bed. And your kids try to negotiate with you all the time. And some of you parents, you're in that season of driver's licenses and curfews. I'm not even there yet, but I know the negotiating is coming. We love to negotiate. My wife and I have a firm policy when it comes to our children. We do not negotiate with terrorists. We don't do it. But this is our approach to God, isn't it? We negotiate with God. God, uh, how about 
Jesus on the cross your way, but sexuality my way? Uh, How about salvation your way, but money, career, finance, my body, my neighborhood, my decisions, my choices, my friendships, my way. And what we're trying to do, rather than be conformed into the image of Christ, we are trying to conform Jesus into our image. We want Jesus to negotiate, but friends, the Jesus who negotiates isn't the kind of Jesus who gets crucified. You don't crucify someone who's willing to negotiate. You crucify the one who says, I will not negotiate because I know how good the offer is. It was Dorothy Sayers who said, those who hung Jesus to do them justice never accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they found him too dynamic to be safe. Jesus isn't safe because he wants to change all of you. He wants to transform all of you. And the only way that happens is if you know and remain in him, if you abide in him. Because who is this Jesus that is inviting you? We sing these songs about Jesus, we read these books about Jesus, but who is this man who is inviting you? Friends, he is the son of the living God. He is the firstborn of all creation. By him, through him, all things were made, both invisible and invisible, things above and things below. He is preeminent over all things. He is the radiance of the image of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the lion of Judah. He is the balm of Gilead. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the king of kings, the prince of peace, and the Lord of all. He is the everlasting father and every government will sit on his shoulders. And friends, he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. So you and I must remain with him as the source and the sustainer of our life and of our joy. I'll close with this. September 12th, 2022, I'm sitting in my office. It's been an incredible season of ministry. I mean, God's hand is just over everything our church is doing. Not by, in spite of us, despite of us, God is moving. And in walks my executive pastor who happens to be one of my best friends in the entire world. We moved with our families to Denver, leaving a life in the Midwest, believing that God had called us to this city to lead an intercultural and inter-ethnic and intergenerational church and God's hand is on it. It's growing and I'm coming in and he, he falls to the ground and he says, yesterday, last night was the toughest day of my life. I had a loaded gun ready to take my life. So I fall on the ground. He's on the ground. I'm holding him up. He's a big guy and, I, and it looks like I hit the gym but I have not been in the gym since Obama was a senator and so I'm trying to hold him up and he's crying. I mean, uncontrollable crying. And what unfolds over the next few days, I won't go into every detail because it's not my story to tell, but what unfolds over the next few days is years, years of addiction. 18 years, his entire married life living in secrecy, living a duplicitous life. No one knows about this. No one knew about it. 
And in the midst of this, I have to let him go. He can no longer work at the church. I'm trying to get him into a rehab facility. His entire family is decimated and falling apart, trying to care for his wife and his three sons. And now a few months later, after we have gone through the betrayal and, I mean, the kind of backstabbing that you never think will happen to you, he's lost everything. His wife, his kids, his job, his friends, his family, everything. But I talk to him every day, every day. And almost every day when he calls me or texts me, he'll say through tears, I'm just damaged goods. I'm damaged goods. Anyone feel like that? I'm just damaged goods. I'm washed up. And I've just realized my role in his life is not to tell him what he's done. He already knows. What good would that do? My role simply in his life is to encourage him. And I tell him, you are not defined by your worst moment. You are not defined by everything you've lost. You you are not defined by your sin, you are not defined by your addiction, you are not defined by your secrets, you are not defined by your lies, you are not defined by anything other than the person and the work of Jesus, because at your worst moment, God gave you his best. Friends, at your worst moment, at my worst moment, Jesus on the cross gave us his best to invite us into a life of joy. And I'm pleading with you, don't miss this life. I would love to tell you that I've learned this and I'm about to write the book on John 15. This is something I'm just barely scratching the surface on. What does it mean to remain in Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to only know Jesus, to say with Paul that Christ who is my life, to only boast in Jesus. I don't want you to miss it. February 12th, 2022, I'm in Dallas, it's 8 a.m. my time, I'm ready to go speak at the EXO conference. I'm getting ready to leave the hotel and I look at my phone and my wife has texted me, which means it's about 6, 7 a.m. her time, which is strange because my wife doesn't even look at me before 9 a.m. Any mama bears in the house just need to sleep, like just don't, don't wake, any, any mama bears in the house, just let mama sleep. So I know that something strange is going on, so I call her right away and I ask her, is everything okay? And we were nine months pregnant. The baby was probably due in 10 to 12 days, so I knew there was a little bit of time, and she says, you gotta get home today. The baby is coming today. And so I pack up really quick and I head to the airport. I got everything there and I'm going as fast as I can. I get in the plane. The plane is not taking off in time. I'm wondering what is happening. Why are we not leaving? And I'm just losing my mind because I do not want to miss the birth of my fourth child. The plane lands. I immediately call one of my friends who, the only, the only friend I knew who watches NASCAR, I needed that guy to drive me from the, from the airport to the hospital. I'm like, you gotta drive me. And so I get, in, I get out of the plane, I have my backpack, and I'm running through the, I mean, sprinting, full out sprinting to the airport. And let me tell you, for a brown guy with a beard and a backpack, running to the airport is not a good look. It's not a good look. But I run, I get to the hospital, and, I'm, and I show up on time to see the birth of my child because I did not want to miss the joy of that moment. And I'm telling you, whatever you are going through, whatever you are facing, run to Jesus, abide in Jesus, remain in Jesus, stay with Jesus because his joy is there. The joy that was with him on the cross, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross in your worst suffering, in your highest successes. His joy is available if you would remain. Remain and know 
him. Stay with him. Every morning, you'll wake up with an invitation. Hundreds of them. And the invitation you choose will determine the reality you experience. Remain with him. Abide in him. Let me pray for you. Would you open your hands as we pray? Lord, I pray for every hand that is open. I pray, God, that they would right now release every lie that was spoken over them, every curse that was spoken over them, everything that they are holding on to, believing that someone or something else could be the source of their joy. Lord, I pray for those who are experiencing deep loss and brokenness. I pray for those who are experiencing confusion, that they need clarity of the joy that you bring. God, would you right now, by the blood of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, bring, bring your joy. Lord, I pray for this church. Let this church be a place of joy, that the joy that comes into this house would flow into the city. Let it be a prophetic house of joy. Stevens Creek, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may the Lord give you his joy and his eternal peace. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com. If our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory at StevensCreekChurch.com.